Marini's Media. Totally football show. Today, fourth round replay. Drama at the Kassam as San Maximan Longstaff help Oxford out of the cup and Newcastle fan helps Longstaff out of his trousers. Newcastle reaching the fifth round for the first time in 14 years before many of Liverpool's starting lineup were born. Elsewhere, Spurs got the better of Saints after the sun went down and loads of goals were scored. We got all the news and views and a look ahead to the Premier League weekend, plus Forest v Leeds and all the latest from Europe in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener. You made it. Thank goodness for that. Who's here for you? Well, we've got Jack Lang. Hi, James. Also here, Duncan Alexander. Hi, James. And also, Adrian Clark. Hello. How are you? I'm very well, Adrian. Lovely to see you here on the Totally Football Show. Mm. Have you had a busy week with those fourth round FA Cup replays? Yeah, it's always a busy week. Uh, done the Totally Football League show, of course, this week yeah. as well. So, yeah, all sorts going on. Uh, plenty of football. It's uh, so always makes for a good week. I suppose so. Rare drama in the Cup. Mm. Six games, Jack. 27 goals. That's almost five goals a game. That's a very good average. It's I would, very good. I huh? would take that in a week's football, yep. Mm. Wow, there was also, I mean, there was so much talk about Oxford almost knocking Newcastle out, Newcastle not getting knocked out and making the fifth round for the first time in 14 years. Liverpool, with their youngest ever starting 11 at Anfield, as Jim Proudfoot said, kindergarten cop. Love that line. (laughs) Wayne Rooney booking a date with Man United. That six-goal thriller in South Wales between Cardiff and Reading. And Spurs with their stirring comeback. Duncan, where do you want to start? I don't mind. It's a... It's a smorgasbord of, of cup action. Well, let's start then with Tuesday's televised encounter at the Casem. League One Oxford looking to upset Premier League Newcastle, but uh, the early action didn't, uh, didn't suggest they'd have much chance. Yeah, it was a rare kind of performance from Joe Linton, or Joe Ellington, as, as Jack said. Yeah, yeah, Let's uh, get it right. Um, assisting Sean Longstaff and then scoring himself uh, all before half time. Looked like it was going to be a comfortable win. All the people at News at 10 were all, all calm, but not concerned that they were going to be delayed. Right. And then Oxford uh, with two goals, one in the 84th minute and one in deep into injury time. And the 94th, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. Nathan at- Holland with what Michael Cox described as the best Holland volley since Marco van Basten. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't want to labour the point about the news, but they kept going on about the news. You Did they? That? In extra time, they were like, the news will follow this. And then Hugh Edwards was tweeting and going, oh, I can't believe we've been delayed for football. It's like... All right, there's 24-hour news channels. Go and watch those if you need news. But anyway, it was... uh, Going back to the game, um, extra time was sort of just... Back and forth, both right. teams. It wasn't well, one Oxford had a huge chance right at the start of, it, of, of the extra time period. Yeah, period. I mean, often in extra time, you'll see two teams just almost settle for penalties, but that wasn't the case here. I don't think either side fancied themselves at penalties. And it was back and forth. And there was a, a great clip I saw on Twitter of an Oxford fan um, filming himself, as is the style these days, um, abusing Sam Maximan as Sam Maximan had the ball. Um, and then, literally in real time, the goal goes in—a very good goal from Sam Maxwell—and he just he slowly lowers his head and pulls his baseball cap over his face. So, wow, it's nice. Okay, uh, so he was putting his head back in, but you know, others were, <laughs> others yeah. at the same time were taking an almost an opposite course of action. Extraordinary scenes mm. uh, in the celebrations of that goal. Jack, did you see this clip? I did. I wish I hadn't. Uh... <laughs> I mean, the director cuts away, but basically, a Newcastle fan appears to expose himself. In, in celebration at San Maximus' goal, which was good, to be yeah, fair. I like the way you're couching that in legal language. It appears to, just in case. Well, he did, didn't he? Did he? <laughs> yeah, he okay. definitely did. All right. Uh, yeah, as someone who... Well, <laughs> this could be a criticism of myself. As someone, do what? No, as someone who struggles to get... Uh, I, I don't have that much... <laughs> where, are we, whoa, whoa. where are we going Relax. <laughs> as someone who doesn't have that much animus when it comes to football goals, even my own team, I'm quite a laid-back Oh, do you not person. go... I, dev- I never go wild. What about when you score? Do you kind of embarrass yourself then? No, I like the, I like the understated celebration uh, on the five-side pitch. Anyway, yeah, right. but I, I can't even get into that, the headspace of imagining uh, mm. what kind of thought process produces something like I that. Don't, I mean, I presume he... Did he do it knowing the cameras were on? Agent, surely st- not. It's a bold call, isn't it, on a, on a cold winter's <laughs> evening? Yeah. To, to do that. Do television companies now employ cameramen 
to look at the crowd because I remember not so long ago, Martinelli mm. scored at Chelsea, that wonderful goal. And of course, afterwards, it, it, it panned in on, that, on the supporter that stood there. He was the only supporter that stood there with his arms folded as per Martinelli. So I, I don't know if this is... This Very is nice. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure. Are you actually... You know, scored goals professionally. <laughs> Occasionally, did you, how did you celebrate? I, I usually, usually played it down, to be honest. Right. Yeah, the, yeah. Okay. Better the goal, yeah. the the less enthusiastic the celebration. That was just that was just my thing. I'd try and pretend if I stuck one in the top corner that look, I, I can't do this all the time. <laughs> right. It's but, the old Eric Cantona <laughs> yeah. chip. You know, collar yeah. up, just look around. Yeah. That's yeah. that's the way to do it. But just going back to the Newcastle incident, it's definitely been that sort of season for their fans. Because if you remember a few weeks ago, the uh, the corner flag ended in. Oh yeah. Uh, so, mm. I mean, Steve Bruce does guarantee drama, and, <laughs> and here we are. Right, Steve Bruce, who commented afterwards, when you look back and put your slippers on, the FA Cup final is still a huge moment in this country. Uh, when I got to the final with Hull City against Arsenal in 2014, I vowed I would never play weakened teams. A club like Newcastle can win five games and get to Wembley. Cue them crashing out to West Brom in the next round. Is, is, uh, that, is that a phrase? I've, I've written that down Get as your well. slippers on. When you look back and put your slippers on. Apparently it is. I like it. I'm quite it's got yeah, a lovely cosy feel. Like Adrian, give, was to this turnaround, I mean, as Duncan was saying, 84th minute, they're 2-0 mm. down heading out. and mm. Is this, this is classic Oxford? No, it isn't. No, no, they're not the comeback kings at all in League One action. Uh, I think they've they've lost six of the nine games when they've conceded the first goal in League One, so they don't have a reputation for it. What they do do week in week out, Oxford is score a lot of goals. They, uh, I mean, to have twenty efforts on goal against a Premier League team, it's no mean feat. I don't think for for a League One. Well, side. they did it against City as well in the League yeah. Cup at home. I mean, they are a very good team. Fearless, um, yeah. and obviously sold two of their best players to Brentford in the transfer window. Yet still. Carrying on. I quite like the novelty value. So, so Liam Kelly scored that gorgeous free kick. Mm. I used to cover Reading every now and again, uh, three or four seasons ago, and he, he was always a very good player. And I'd lost track of him. And I saw him in this match, and I was slightly taken aback. He must be the first player ever to be on loan at Oxford from Feyenoord. Very possibly, Jack. And probably will be the only one for the rest of time, Don't I know. imagine. It's interesting. Mm. Oxford currently eighth in League uh, sorry, League One. <laughs> <laughs> three, three points off the playoff places. They travel to third place at Peterborough United this Saturday. Okay. Newcastle get the weekend off because of this strange Premier League staggered winter break type thing. Other stories in the FA Cup after this. You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Liverpool's youngest ever starting eleven. Average 19 years and 102 days. Saw off Shrewsbury 1-0 at Anfield. Klopp wasn't there, but James Milner was. Yeah, it was uh, 80 days younger on average than their previous youngest team, which wow. was a nice touch given that the rest of the players were allowed to go anywhere around the world. Um, they've had time, I guess. But yeah, James Milner couldn't go anywhere because he was recovering from injury. And, oh, was that? Oh, okay. And asked Neil Critchley if he could come and hang out in the dressing room and sit on the bench and inspire the players, and yeah, he did. Brilliant. What a nice chap. Uh, Shrewsbury did think they'd open the scoring in this, but uh, Sean Wally's goal was chalked off. Uh, they then scored again, but you know, through their own net, which is not so good. Uh, they can concentrate on their League uh, One survival push. They're currently 16th, haven't won in 2020. Liverpool go through to a fifth round clash with Chelsea. Wazza was on the score sheet as Derby beat Northampton 4-2. They'll be facing Man United next time. Ooh, Jack. Yeah, that's that's a good storyline. I... I... I enjoy the fact that Rooney now, all these years later, after you know so many very dull years of oh, will he end up in midfield, and slightly you know played there now and again for Man United to not to great effect, but now he has fully embraced the the quarterback just spraying passes round, and I think it suits him. He obviously brings leadership as well, but I think that would be a really nice occasion and something that he deserves really. I think the way he left English football the first time was slightly underwhelming so this this is you know an unofficial testimonial in a way isn't it I mean <laughs> he's not going to go on a, a great deal longer I wouldn't think but this is a really nice way for him to cap what has been a, a good few months for him I was there for his debut yeah uh, for Derby yeah he was he was pretty impressive he just looks after the ball better than the players around him he just mm. knits it together nicely they have been a bit of a shambles at times Derby this season sort of tactically they, they've not 
they've not been uh, consistent in any shape or form, particularly away from home. But but yeah, I think he has improved them definitely. I, I saw Philip Cocker on the train the other day. Did you? I did. And what it was is the cheap train back up to the Midlands. You've got right. you've got the fast one where you can pre-book your seats. Yes. Uh, and I understandably took the cheap one where you just turn up and make the mad dash. Right. But Philip Cocker and his family had to had to do the same thing, and they were too slow. And he spent an hour sort of crammed sardine-like in, into the carriage. I felt really sorry for him. Fascinating stuff, Adrian. Uh, Birmingham beat Coventry City on penalties after a 2-2 draw. We talked about the late goals in the Oxford game. Birmingham equalised twice in that game, once in the 90th minute to take it to extra time and then again in the 120th to take it wow. to penalties. Kind of classic Coventry. Coventry haven't finished in the top five of any division since 1967. They, amazing. They kind of grasp you know, unluckiness from the jaws of hope quite a lot. I, I tipped them for top two earlier in the week, so maybe I can retract that. <laughs> uh, penalties as well in the clash between Reading and Cardiff, which saw the Royals come back from two goals down against the Bluebirds, uh, two sides having their third meeting in 10 days. Uh, Wednesday then, huge game at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium as Spurs took on Saints. Jose Mourinho afterwards in charitable mood saying, the best team lost, but my team were the ones with more heart. Was that a fair assessment of the game? I'm not sure Hart had that much to do with it. I mean, Tottenham did weather a couple of storms. And, yeah, certainly I think Mourinho was right to, to praise Southampton. I thought they, they were really slick. They were positive in possession. The pressing that they've been doing all season does pay off. Like When it clicks, it really is very good. And it was boosted here by Nathan Redmond just playing... I think he's in the the best form that I've seen him for mm. a while. The, the the work for the Ings goal obviously was stunning, but he was he was really good throughout. And yeah, I mean, it was telling, I suppose, that it came down to that that very controversial penalty call. And I think Southampton would be rightfully aggrieved at that. Angus Gunn was was flabbergasted. Really, he just didn't think he touched him at all. What's what's your take on that, Adrian? Because there isn't, I don't think, contact. But at the same time, he has stuck a leg in front of Sun as Sun heads towards goal. Yeah, look, I, I personally felt it was a dive because he, he was tumbling before yeah. the, the be- possibility of contact came. I thought maybe the hand of the keeper just slapped the thigh okay. of Sun. It wasn't completely clear. I was surprised that VAR didn't 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 respond. Yeah, see, the it? penalty kind of was taken really quickly. Mm. It was almost like they were like, "Well, let's just get this done." And the old, <laughs> the old VAR, we've had enough of that. Yeah, but. I mean, I mean, Gunn did misjudge the angle of the mm. way he came out. Mm. I think he's partly culpable for it. Really, it was a brilliant ball from from Ali. It was one of those parts passes that that forced that incident so it's so almost for the pass itself they mm. they deserved a penalty but it was it was uh, a dive in my opinion and, and sunny as everyone insists Bizarre. on calling him yeah. um is getting himself a bit of a reputation for right. the dark arts isn't he yeah the one in front of the gun lives forever as they say spurs gonna spurs uh, after Sunday's performance with city when they had what was it four shots and and two goals here they had three shots on target to Saint Seven and three goals. Well, they scored their last five shots on target. It's which, remarkable. Um, you know, they, they come out to the Darth Moore music before the game, and their attack is something of a phantom menace at the moment. Right. Well. Did they genuinely come out to the Darth Moore music? Yeah. Wow, duel of the fates that by uh, John Williams. That's an understated bit of introduction music. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if that preceded Jose Mourinho, but that would make, make a great like rider request, wouldn't it? You know, like bands want a want a platter of <laughs> a platter of uh, caviar or and so blue on. M and M. Mourinho joins a club. It's like right, Darth Maul music. Right, that's request number one. <laughs> Jacob McSweeney uh, writes in says Southampton looked excellent against Spurs. What happened, particularly in the latter stages of the second half, that allowed Spurs to go through? Well, Dele Alli came on. Was mm. it that? I do think that Jose Mourinho deserves a little bit of credit for, for changing the shape. He recognised that that it wasn't really working previously. The three-five-two. Uh, Dele Alli started to find space between the lines. I think Southampton got a bit overexcited, and I know that's a really simplistic way of analysing the game. But but when they went two-one up, they stopped doing the things that got them there and they played too stretched. There were gaps between the lines. They didn't um, they didn't shrink. 
those gaps between departments and, and it cost them really I think for, for both of the goals you have to say that Lucas Moura's strike was brilliant yeah. and you, sometimes you just got to doff your cap and say wow that's a moment of real quality on Southampton um, I was there when they should have beaten Arsenal. They were sensational that day. I, I thought they looked like a top four team. And they've they've played so many passages of matches in that style since. It's been outstanding. But they can't maintain it over 90 minutes. That's right. something to work on. And for me, the, 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 there's one obvious flaw in the Saints' makeup, and, and that's the defence. They, they are, from midfield to attack, excellent. Yeah. On a par with many, many uh, top half sides. But at the back... They have a back four that that belongs in a relegation battle. The rest of the side are top half for sure. Yeah, just to back up that point, they're in expected goals in the Premier League this season. They're the sixth best team in in the whole division. They're above the likes of Spurs, uh, Everton. Other, you know, Everton are rising at the moment. But yeah, like you say, I think also Shane Long coming off. He's a bit of a malign player sometimes. He did get a rare goal, but he you know he does press so well. And him coming off did kind of turn, yeah, turn it a little bit. Yeah, as well. I wouldn't disagree with that. It was interesting before. Ward Prowse's injury, which is right. well, it was a strange one because it was hard to really see on the replay what had happened. I think it was it was a cut in the end, wasn't it? Which the cameras didn't pick up on. Yeah, and they're hopeful that it's not as bad as it seemed at the time. Hopefully, yeah, yeah. Uh, but even prior to that, obviously that left them short at right back, so they had to move Jack Stevens over. But even prior to that, I think the the decision to let Cedric go to Arsenal is a, is a weird one because Jan Valery is is still out. One of the strengths in recent weeks has been the midfield pairing between Hoiberg and Ward-Prowse. I saw them a couple of times over Christmas and New Year, and they were a really solid, really dynamic central two who gave the back four a lot of cover, really snapping. And just to to accept Cedric leaving and, and shunt Ward-Prowse, one of your most influential players, to right back for a couple of months, that struck me as odd. Obviously, it's, it's going to be double punishment now that he's going to be out so Jack Stevens has had to had to deputise there but I thought that was a strange bit of squad management for them in January. Yeah me, me too and I, I could also accuse Spurs of something similar at left back with Danny Rose I mean really I mean they don't have a what I'd call a, a regular left back they, they've mixed and matched haven't they the, the young boys played there Vertonghen's played well, we there. We should Ben mention Vertonghen last night yeah. who, who was substituted fairly early and looked extremely dejected. I saw a few mm. people say it was reminiscent of the Gary Neville performance at West Brom when he subsequently said that he knew at that point that his kind of top flight career was over. And I can't say that about Vertonghen, but he did definitely look off the pace. So dejected he couldn't even bring himself to put a coat on. So he just sat there behind Mourinho, evidently freezing. Oh. Probably knowing that the camera was on him as well. Very bleak. Right, yeah. yeah, memories are all coming flooding <laughs> back now. <laughs> so Spurs will be taking on Norwich. In the fifth round of the FA Cup, the draw in full. These are all midweek ties. Uh, first time ever in the FA Cup uh, for the fifth round that. Uh, played in the first week of March, there will be no replays. Chelsea taking on Liverpool, Derby, Man United, Leicester, Birmingham. Portsmouth, the lowest ranked team now in the competition, uh, will be up against Arsenal. Reading have Sheffield United. Spurs face Norwich and West Brom host Newcastle. And after all the you know, gnashing of teeth about big clubs and taking the FA Cup seriously. This is actually the first time since 1969 that uh, the current big six are all through to the fifth round. Right. Still to come on today's Totally Football show, ooh, previewing the weekend, and also hearing some exciting Brazilian stuff out of Jack Lang. That's up next. Join Ruby Walsh, Paddy Power, Tom Nugent and a whole host of great guests each week on Paddy Power's new racing podcast, From the Horse's Mouth. Tune in for analysis, interviews and a bit of crack. Ruby is the expert, Tom holds it together and Paddy, well, Paddy's funding the whole thing so he insisted that he gets to be involved. The first episode is available to download now. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Jack, enjoyed your article at The Athletic on the Copa São Paulo de Futebol Júnior, Brazil's annual under-20 tournament, which you uh, did a big piece on because it's a fascinating glimpse of the next-gen of potential Seleção superstars, not because there's tons of funny-sounding names in it. No, yeah, definitely focused on the more serious angle. Right. So this is a tournament that's previously seen such... Names as Robinho, Neymar, Lucas Moura mm-hmm. and Oscar kind of breaking through. Uh, Vinicius Jr. and uh, Gabriel Martinelli as well in more recent 
years. Who stood out this time? You've highlighted Misael Truck Driver. <laughs> Misael Truck Driver and Vinicius Yakult. Yeah. I mean, they break down into a few categories. So some of them are, are actual given names. So on birth certificates. Okay. So that there's, an, there's an Einstein, Dos Gias Santos. These are uh, pretty classic kind of attempts to grasp at history there, there are always ones named after presidents so right. the, this year there's a there's a john kennedy right. uh, but yeah and th- then there are the ones like missile truck driver which are just which is a nickname which is a nickname yeah uh no why why, did, why is he called truck driver i've got no idea okay i mean these are these are players for tiny clubs and they're you know they're, they're okay other teenagers. nicknames include pirouette alexander pirouette <laughs> vinicius yakult that's a great one that i is... think he he's the real heir to one of the previous best ones, which is uh, Iago Pikachu. All right. Which is just... Like a, a, Wasn't there also one called Bacteria? There was Bacteria a couple right. of years ago. There was an Avatar. Right. Uh, you I mean, catch him when he got going. <laughs> yeah. uh, Marlon Brandau. Marlon Brandau is, is a classic one. Okay. Roadrunner, Fury, Chocolate, Naruto, favourite, one leg. Incre- one leg presumably in Portuguese, though, was it? Oh, yeah. These, these, are all, these are all in Portuguese. Okay. Incredible and over. Little Mute. Little mute. What's that? Mucinho. Mucinho. Yeah. What? Okay. Right. Um, but uh, the actual players whose given names were kind of unusual, or in some cases very usual. Rikelmi. There was uh, what sixteen players called Rikelmi. Yeah, an unbelievable number. Um, I, I tried to think of an explanation for this. Presumably, there are a lot of fans of Rikelmi in. Brazil. Yeah, of course. But it's strange that there is such a such a spate of them in one year. There are always players named after after former stars. In previous years at this tournament, there's been a, there's often a Lineker, spelt in different ways. Right. Or uh, there, a couple of years ago, there's a Hujigulici, yeah. uh, Rude Hullet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Which is actually how you should pronounce it. Uh, of course. Yeah. But there, it, it is strange to see so many Raquel It's not least because, I mean, Brazil and Argentina right. have a very spiteful footballing relationship. So mm. actually naming someone after an Argentine it is becoming slightly more popular I mean I like the way they do it in Brazil you know it's a bit more free spirited isn't it right. I mean I find the kind of post-feudal way that we do it in England of just oh what did your granddad do oh he was a right. Fletcher oh you're called Fletcher but, right. but boy but you've got Alexander which is quite fun I've got Richardson but I wonder actually if that's going to be changing and as we move into a society evolves you've gone with the name you've chosen for yourself mm. your kind of online avatar as it were oily sailor yes. which is you know worthy of anything in the copper the football etc um, ac jimbo mm. i'm not sure what we're going to do with that what's your online moniker no just boring just my name adrian j clark all right yeah okay. sorry but, but anyway so maybe there's some hope in, in that yeah i mean I, I guess the big difference we've seen recently in english football is the number of hyphenated surnames now you know if you look at the England team there were quite a lot in the 19th century none at all in the 20th century and then loads now in the 21st right. century so a lot of the ones at the Copinha I think are probably are probably references to how they play football or, right. or some detail of their personality but the two that stood out this year I mean every time this tournament is played there are, there are lists on the Brazilian websites that pick out the funniest names it's quite it's quite a well a well-worn trope that I just oh, then so nick in Brazil they know it's funny as well it's oh yeah like, okay, no fine. this isn't this this isn't it's not uh, Jack Lang just colonial humour. No, uh, these yeah, you know, th- these are funny. Whichever language you're speaking, Duncan. But the two that stood out, which struck me as just obvious attempts to get on this list, oh, right. and then maybe raise their profile. Right. One of them is so they went for HD Agade on the uh, on the player register. It says you know his full name like Andre da Silva yeah. Kaiki, and it then just says HD above it. And the other one is GTA. So like Grand Theft Auto. Grand Theft Auto, <laughs> right. which I think is is both. What's HD then? Just high definition. Yeah, right. It'd be nice it, if he gets paid four k a week. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's uh, yeah, extraordinary. Please be yourself. He's finished that. that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks for that, Jack. Look forward to hearing who's breaking through in next year's edition. Up next, we're going to have a look at the Premier League weekend. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Match Week 26 is being split over two weekends to give players a staggered winter break. So just the four matches this weekend, luckily, they are all stunners. Everton Palace, that eagerly awaited meeting of the two oldest managers in the Premier League. Brighton Watford, a big battle in the bottom six. Sheffield United Bournemouth um, and Man City West Ham. There are no 
Saturday's three o'clock kickoffs. Don't look for them. They're not there on either this weekend or the next one, meaning that every single game will be televised. Boom, have some of that. Hey, relegation teams featuring three of the four matches this weekend, Adrian. Mm. Uh, what most piques your interest? I think Brighton-Watford because the Seagulls need this badly, don't they? They're, 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 they've quietly been on a free fall. And Graham Potter, we all rate him. We all think he's a really smart coach, clever tactician. It needs wins, full stop. Um, I've been looking into Brighton in, in a bit more detail this week on the back of that 3-3 at West Ham, which, which showed good character, actually. Mm. And again, he, he, he mixed things up second half, as, as he tends to do, Graham Potter. And I was thinking, how, what's the best way to, for them to beat, to beat Watford? So I was looking at, at their systems. Uh, he's used the most formations of any manager this year, um, joined with Hasenhutl. So he's used eight different starting formations. The two that stand out, a 4-4-2 diamond, 50% win ratio, and 4-4-2 classic, 42.9% win ratio, okay? Basically, they've not won hardly any other games without two up top. Okay. They've tried various uh, incarnations, three at the back, 4-2-3-1, and, and, and their best other win ratio is 4-2-3-1, which is 25%. So for me, it's an absolute no-brainer for Brighton in this game to go uh, with a 4-4-2 of some sort. Right. They won their opening game against Watford, uh, in uh, Graham Potter's debut, of course, uh, in the Premier League on the Brighton bench. 3-0 at Vicarage Road, but they've only won five of the next 24, mm. uh, which is why they are in that they uh, relegation lack, They struggle. lack pace. I think that's been a problem for them throughout throughout the team. A lot of their best players, your Moyes, your Gross, they, they're not quick. And and that's why Neil Mopé is such an important player for them. Mm. He was dropped for the last game for, for Murray. It worked because they scored three goals, I guess. But and Murray played well. But I think they need that. They need some. They need somebody like Mope up top to to stretch. Opponents. Just as a small point, it's your Moises and your Grosses technically. But sorry, Duncan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was interesting. Well, say interesting. It was uh, Glenn Murray coming back felt a little bit like a uh oh. All my new methods aren't working. Let's get Glenn Murray back. He's the only eight player to score in the Premier League this year. He's actually older than Watford's 1984 FA Cup final appearance. So, nice. Um, another little Watford touch. Some people might know it's where they filmed all the Harry Potter films. Where in Watford? Yeah, and Graham Potter. See if he can pull out some sort of <laughs> that's interesting magical comeback. The, there's that tour there, isn't there? There's you can go on a, a tour of the studios. Apparently. Uh, as for Watford. You know what this was? Can Tini find Vitra? Yes, he can. Vitra edge of the box, takes a touch, evades Greer. Vitra scores! Mattia Vitra seals the three points for Watford! It was the sound of Watford's last victory at the Amex, with which they actually won promotion to the Premier League. That was five years ago under Slavisa Jokanovic. They're in the bottom three. Is their stay in the top division now coming to an end, do you think? I think there's still life in them yet. Mm. They've obviously uh, dipped again after that, that little bounce that we saw a few weeks ago. I think the absence of Ismail Assar has been quite quite critical. He really helps them stretch the play. Uh, Roberto Pereira has come back in. I don't think he's always that comfortable on the right. He likes to be cutting in from the left, which is where, which is where De La Feo is. And Saar's ability to to really drag defenders out of position. I think that benefits uh, Troy Deeney, for example, massively because right. obviously Deeney offers a lot, but pace and and uh, depth to the attacks is not one of them. So I think he's slightly regressed since Saar has been been injured. Also, what's going on at the back? Because the clean sheets was very much the trademark of the early games under Nigel Pearson, but in the last couple of games, they're, they're shipping them all over, most notably last weekend when they were 2-0 up against Everton and lost 3-2. Set pieces, yeah, basic mistakes really from from individuals. I do think that Watford have got a long-standing issue at fullback. And we saw it in the, in, the, in the FA Cup final last season where they both fullbacks were utterly destroyed. And I don't think that they've really improved in, in that regard. Pearson's come in with an initial bounce. He's worked hard, clearly, on the shape of the team. But but habits, you know, take longer to, to disappear. Bad habits, that is. So, so yeah, I think that, that's all we're seeing with Watford. I, I agree, there's life in them. And, and as long as Deeney stays fit, I think they've got a chance. Three points behind Brighton. So if they win this... They'll drag the Seagulls back into the thick of the relegation scrap. Brighton, who had their own stirring comeback last weekend, as you mentioned, Adrian, 3-3 against West Ham, leaving West Ham in the bottom three, 18th place, 
And this weekend starts that really tough run of fixtures that everyone's been talking about. They're visiting Man City. They always win against West Ham. That's basically it. Mm. Mm. Pep's obviously never lost seven league games in a single season. He's now on six. Right. I'm I'm not convinced this will be the seventh, but it could happen at some point. I mean, City are really interesting this season because they're, as we mentioned last week, they're miles clear on expected goals. They're, they're creating much better chances than anyone else, but they're being wasteful. They're, they're kind of clear-cut chance conversion two seasons ago when they got 100 points was over 50%, which is right. pretty good. Yep. Last season, 43%, so a little decline, and now it's down to 42, which isn't like a massive fall, but they are, they're just being more, more wasteful. Part of that is is their terrible record on spot kicks. They failed to score four of their last six penalties. What's the solution, Duncan? A certain Edison going up top for a bit and, and taking it. I mean, if Pep's going to come out and say he's the best penalty taker at the club, then this should be, I know I said this last week, but this surely has to be the game he does right. it. I, I don't think you say that unless there is at least a possibility of putting it into action, because otherwise you wouldn't create that but, issue for yourself. But it's right? one of those stupid football it. things where... I saw some people at the weekend say, oh, well, they can't do that because it's disrespectful. It's like, well, it's not it's disrespectful. Not. You've got 11 players on the pitch. If your goalkeeper's really good at taking penalties, mm. you're probably putting yourself more at risk because if it's saved, then, yeah. you know. In my experience, goalkeepers strike the ball cleaner than anybody else anyway. Why uh, is that? So, goal kicks. So they, they, obviously, they have to really right. spank goal kicks, don't they? So they're, yeah. they're used to putting their laces through it. And they're normally big units, of course, goalkeepers. So they can put in plenty of power. Um, Kevin Pressman penalty famously that yeah. when he nearly took the net off yeah. at Hillsborough. It, it, it wouldn't surprise me to see Edison take them. On this subject though, what's wrong with Kevin De Bruyne? Why doesn't he ever take a pen? But penalty taking, is it purely down to technical ability in the same way that say free kicks might be? Because so much of it is mental. It, it's it's the, the mind games with the keeper and that. Maybe De Bruyne is not... Uh, I mean that would surprise me if he wasn't. He's, he seems one of the most mentally resolute players right. on the team yeah i mean gabriel jesus has is a good technician i think he's a very good player but has a history of missing right sterling obviously we know he missed twice in the space of about three minutes against wolves gundogan hadn't missed before he did so at right. the weekend so i think we can we can excuse that but i do wonder how far down the list of players do they duncan's have to get? got some numbers uh, yeah, De Bruyne has taken one penalty in Premier League history against Everton in 2016, and he missed it. So maybe he's a, such a purist that he said, "That's that's me, me done." Done. done. Right. Yeah. On penalties, yes, it's mental, but the primary skill is clearly technique. It's clear if you hit it hard enough, mm. accurately enough. Mm-hmm. The goalkeeper won't save it. Look at the like the likes of Harry Kane, Alan Shearer, who put it with power right in the corner. Yeah. They nearly always score because you know a keeper can't get there. Yeah. Just looping back to Spurs, yeah. Son's penalty run up. Oh, mm. that that put the fear of God into me. There are about so, six different things going on. <laughs> what did he do? Well, he did one of the little quick steps, yeah. a la Rooney, right? And then he did kind of a loping run, like with a little stutter, right? At some stage, he wasn't Look looking up. at the ball; he was looking straight at the goal, and yet he looked at the ball at the very last split second. I thought it. It was like a mashup of six different techniques. Yeah. Wow. And I, I wouldn't like to see that too often. No. I think you'll miss more than you'll score with that. We shall see. Raheem Sterling yet to contribute a goal or an assist in 2020, which is remarkable. Uh, as is the current predicament of West Ham in the bottom three. The board taking action, though, to try and resolve things by banning a season ticket holder this week because he wore a T-shirt saying GSB out while waving a flag pitch side. You see GSB being Gold, Sullivan and Brady and they said that this was a provocative messaging which was deliberately intended to incite the crowd and therefore breach their safety rules so he's not allowed to return to the London Stadium lucky chap for the rest of the season. He'll probably be on Sunday supplement apologising for it. Ooh, Jack, topical. Very nice. Uh, meanwhile, down the bottom end of the table, Bournemouth have had back-to-back wins and have moved out of the bottom three but are not clear of danger yet as they travel to Bramall Lane to take on Sheffield United this weekend. Bournemouth... I read, haven't won home or away against Sheffield United since the opening day of the 87-88 season. Wow. Mm. Before, as you're probably about to point out, Duncan Alexander, Dirty Dancing came out. I wasn't, actually, but that is a good landmark. Harry Redknapp was Bournemouth's manager. Yeah, and he was also in Dirty Dancing. Oh, no, that's something else. I mean, if Sheffield United win this game, there'll be two points of fourth place, which is... Incredible and testament. Seriously, two points off fourth place. Yeah, because because Chelsea won't play till the yeah, yeah. Can. But what I like about this is that 
Sheffield United are one of only two teams to have won the English title, but only in the 19th century. Obviously, Preston did it the first two seasons, and then Sheffield United did it. Haven't done it since. So the idea of them getting into the Champions League, having last been the champions of England in the Victorian age, would be you know, quite nice. It certainly would, just not cricket. Uh, says, how excited should the Premier League be about Sander Burge? Well, I can't pretend I've seen him week in, week out for Genk, um, but I know he comes with the reputation um, for being a great all-round midfielder. He's right. been linked in the past with teams like Liverpool and Arsenal, so so he, he, he's got good pedigree. He's tall, he's a ball winner, he wins a lot of tackles. I think he made six on his debut last weekend. I don't think he won them all, but, but he, he got stuck in. He's composed on the ball, technically that really gives the ball away. Ice, and yeah. and for someone um that that is tall, he can he can ghost past players very well as well. He nice. travels with the ball smoothly. So he's an excellent talent. He's only 21. I think that Sheffield United uh, can see this as as a coup of sorts and uh, yeah it was it was good it was good to see the fans uh, welcome him with their new song. Right. Um yeah, it was a lovely song. Did though. you see Billy Sharp? Um Billy Sharp had he wrote it. I don't think he wrote it, but he he had read clearly that that the fans had written this song. Oh, okay, right. and then he he sung it to Sheffield United and said, "Look, do you want me to do the announcement?" And, he, and then he, I don't know where it came from. I saw it on a WhatsApp. Uh, Billy Sharp singing the the new Sander Burge song, which was Brilliant. a belter. He's Norwegian. He plays for the Blades with John Egan. We're playing in Europe next season. It's Sander Burge. It was a great song. A little take on uh, She's Electric by Oasis, isn't it? That's correct. Mm. Right. Uh, Sheffield United taking on Bournemouth this weekend, Sunday at 2 o'clock. Duncan? Just something to watch out for in this game. We know how good Sheffield United are at pressing and pressing with the strikers, essentially. Um, Bournemouth have given away the ball in their defensive third more than any other team in the Premier League this season. It's part of the reason they're... They are where they are. So I think if Sheffield United are going to win this game, which I expect they will, that's you know uh, area of profitability. Something to keep an eye on. Also, Everton up against Crystal Palace. That's the early game Saturday. Crystal Palace were up in sixth as recently as November, but they've only had one win in the last 10 Premier League matches. So although they're six points clear of the bottom three, how safe can they feel? I don't think entirely safe yet. Uh, as Adrian said, for for Brighton being a kind of a, a low key sinking team, I think Palace probably uh, in a similar boat. Really, they they've got a slight buffer there, which which Brighton. There's no way to talk about the. Oh, I see. Sorry, right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they just they're just not scoring goals. Cenk Tosun has has not really not really changed much for them. Benteke was in the side again last week. And yeah, it's tough because Jordan Ayew is has been kind of shunted wide, and he's he's a, a personal favourite of mine. I just mm. think he's a an annoying player for a, opponents. I think that is worth a lot. But he and Zaha, I think, do a, do a lot of good work on the flanks. But they are quite reliant on on winning fouls, winning penalties, which they do. But well, I was going to say that the, the big issue with Palace this season is the lack of penalties. I mean, that that kind of kept them in mid-table the last couple of seasons. Two seasons ago, they had 10. Last season, they had 11. Right. This year, they've only had three so far. The incident with the pigeon. Yeah. yeah. Talking about Man City and penalties, Palace do have one of the most reliable penalty takers in the league. But if you don't win penalties... Yeah, he, he lashes it top corner every time, doesn't he, Milivojevic? And they're just... Uh, they say that teams often reflect their managers and... And in Palace's case, that's true because they're old, aren't they? The average age is, is 29 right. uh, at Crystal Palace. I think their youngest player is is 23, uh, Riedervald. So that's a concern, in, in my opinion. I genuinely believe that young players bring energy, life. We've seen it at Arsenal with, with Martinelli and, and Saka coming in. Mm. That fearlessness, the edge that young players can bring is important. And, and for Palace to basically... Ignore that, I think, is a mistake on, on their part. So that, that's a problem moving forward. I, I think you've got to fancy Everton. In They're this one game. of the, the Premier League's form teams right yeah, now. Two, two points a game. Since Ancelotti took over, only Liverpool have taken more points. Do they reflect Ancelotti? Um, yes, they do already. I was there for his first match in charge against Burnley, and the, the style change was just unbelievable, wasn't it? From from Duncan Ferguson, where they just boomed everything and didn't want the ball. Now they're playing through the thirds. And what I like about Ancelotti's Everton is the tactical flexibility. Um, they have used 3-4-1-2 uh, 
and 442. And 442 has been the primary shape in recent weeks. But but during the game, as he sees fit, he tends to take off a winger, bring on Seamus Coleman to be a third centre half, and then push Sidibe up uh, and switch the system, which I think is is canny on his part, shows that he's thinking his way through games, Ancelotti. And it's given Everton a, a new string to their bow, basically. And I like the fact that he's he's put such faith in Calvert-Lewin up top. He's responded. All his stats have, have gone through the roof under Ancelotti. Holgate is blossoming. He's a ball-playing centre-half that before wasn't trusted. He is now. And he also, he's been pushed into central midfield on occasion. So, so yeah, those, those two guys, Holgate and Calvert-Lewin, I think have to be in Gareth Southgate's thinking moving forward. And that has all happened in the space of, of seven games under Ancelotti. It's great to see that he's unlocked the goal-scoring potential of, of Yerry Mina as well. This was someone who, he, he was scoring a lot for Palmeiras, scored okay. nine or ten goals in the space of a year and a half, two years. Really good in the air, obviously. And it's a bonus that we get to see his celebration. He calls it, well, it's a, it's a Colombian style of music and dance called Salsa Choque, which is electric shock salsa, right? which is, I think, one of the great terms for any dance ever and he dusted it off uh, at the weekend Richarlison kind of <laughs> stood next to him looking at him thinking oh what's he doing but it, <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me because Mina at Palmeiras used to teach the other players this right. this dance Gabriel Jesus there's a video of him learning from Mina in the changing room right so stand by if he scores again I, I think we'll see multiple Everton players doing those little those doing moves. the salsa choque salsa choque very nice. Well, it's better than those hand slapping uh, routines that Spurs had going. Oh, You're um, not a fan, are you? Uh, no. Okay. All right. No Chink Tosin in this clash because uh, he's on loan from Everton. That would be a loss. <laughs> oh. After this, more things, including Forest Leeds. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Uh, up in the studio after us, listener. Uh, is the offside rule and some very good news about the offside rule. You may have seen on Monday uh, Lindsay, Kate and company announcing that they recorded their last WSL edition of the podcast because of lack of sponsors. But I'm delighted to say the nice people at Football Manager immediately stepped in and backed the show, meaning Lindsay and Kate and company can continue to bring you the very best coverage of the women's game for free every week. Equally, you, listener, should you wish, can play the latest edition of Football Manager on your desktop, mobile or tablet. And there's been a new update this week, so it's even better than ever. Still without a sponsor, by the way, uh, but we do it for love anyway, is Golazzo, our festival of retro, mainly 90s Italian magic. So if uh, Lemmings or Worms or Doom or any other kind of 90s computer game want to come in and sponsor us... Megalomania. There you go. Road, Road Rash 2. Oh, what a game that was. Yeah. What a game. My parents stopped me playing it because me and my brother suddenly got very violent, probably imagining we had, we had those chains in our hand and yeah. we were knocking each other off. And a great, an early, an early exponent of the soundtrack as, you know, as a main feature of the game as well. Oh, I'll have to check that out. No, they had all sorts. Of, I remember like they had Soundgarden, all sorts of stuff on Road Rash, Road Rash 2. You can, you can play it now. You, know, you can get one of those emulators and play mm-hmm. it on your desktop. Um, Anyway, uh, sales at muddykneesmedia.com, listener, is where to give us money. Good. All right. Hey, let's talk about uh, games this weekend. Only four of them in the Premier League, Adrian, but there's a huge one in the Championship mm. as Nottingham Forest take on Leeds. Tea time Saturday. Woo! Nah, old school top flight game, this one, isn't it? <laughs> right, because these are the two teams that most people think, well, the Premier League really misses them. It's been so long. Uh, how long has it been? 21 years for Forrest, 16 for Leeds since they graced the top flight. What, how has it been that long? Yeah, it's crazy. Well, we, we know why it's been that long. They've had so many off-the-field issues, haven't they? Um, particularly uh, at Leeds, Forrest, the, the, the model that, that, that got them to the top of the tree in English football is sort of irrelevant <laughs> these days, isn't it? Uh, but they are going to expand their stadium moving forward, so, so that should generate a, a bit more cash for them. But no, this is a, this is a really good game between two of the best coaches in the division for sure Sabri Lamushi has really impressed me I must admit I was quite sceptical when he came in his, his CV isn't that great uh, but he's organised Forest so well they're hard to beat uh, they've got one of the best central midfield pairings I think in the championship uh, Samba Sow and, and Ben Watson so keep your eye on those two um but it's huge for Leeds, this game. Absolutely huge, because every time they win and you think, right, 
this is the this is the Leeds bandwagon. They, they're going to fly their way through now to to the Premier League. They they go and blow it, and they lost to Wigan last weekend. Right, it's awful. So they lost four of their last six games. Mm. Uh, which is this? Is it too easy to say this is the classic Bielsa burner? It, 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 it probably is too easy to say it, but 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 there is a case for it. I think that psychologically. They they get themselves a little bit too worked up, and I would probably level that at the players and the fans as well. I think mm. it's understandable; they're, they're, they're nervous, um, but but they're making bad mistakes. You look at the goals that conceded Leeds, and forty percent of the goals they conceded have been from set pieces this season, which is which is balmy, really. It's just that that is something they can repair on the training ground. Finishing has been the problem. Bamford um, just hasn't, he's he's not quite cut it. Well, I was going to say, Bamford, he's got the biggest goals to XG gap. He's he's scored 12 goals this season. His XG is 20.7. Should have had had 21, 21. pretty much. He's had the same XG on his own as Newcastle have had as a team in the Premier League. Yeah. So, I mean, that is wastefulness. Well, they've signed a new guy, Jean-Kevin Augustin, uh, who played for the Rezies in midweek. I think just unleash him. Now, Bielsa probably won't because Bielsa has this thing where you have to learn his way and he's very stubborn and won't won't just chuck players in. I think that's why he wasted Eddie and Ketu a little bit. Uh, he wasn't prepared to play him often enough. I think he just has to has to go for it with Augustine because, as you say with Bamford, he, he can't be relied upon to tuck away those, those chances. I do think that Leeds missed a trick in January. I don't think they beefed up their squad heavily enough. The bench... It's very light still. And last season, when it came to that knackering part of the season where they needed to call on their bench, they didn't have the quality. And I'm still a little bit worried that, that, that they haven't beefed it up enough. So so watch this space. They are the best team. They're, they're the most Premier League ready of any team in the Championship. No doubt about that. But they've got to get themselves over the line. Right. They're currently one point behind West Brom in second place. Nottingham Forest lying fourth. Uh, five points off the top, but obviously in the thick of the playoff places. This is the, the one day this year, pretty much. So we don't have a Forest fan here in <laughs> Muddy Knees Media. We do have a Wickham supporter, though, eh, Duncan? Yes, we do. And we, are, I was going to say similar to Leeds, but yeah. that's possibly not fair. But we have had a similar tailing off Can since you? Christmas. Yeah, we lost to Ox- second at league in League in One. League One, which is as it's, I mean, we were top early, which is the highest position Wickham have ever been in the football pyramid in their history right. so you know we were the third favourites to go down at the start of the season and that was only because Berry and Bolton were starting on minus points um, so what, wherever they finish it's you know been an amazing but season but you might finish in the championship I mean, basically the goal scoring has, has disappeared if you look at the games when Fred Omnidimna has played that's when we've, we've played well we need him back from injury really so okay. how, how has, how's that looking yeah he's he's uh, should be back he could even be back this weekend who are you playing this weekend Duncan and Bristol Rovers which is a bit of a grudge match because a couple of seasons ago we were the bottom in the bottom two in League Two so about to go into the conference 45th game of the season Bristol Rovers at home they were below us in the table they beat us Pitch invasion, horses punched, etc. All the all the classics. Um, the following week, all they needed to do was get a point to stay up, and we needed to win. We won. They managed to lose at home to a Mansfield team who forgot their own kit, so they're wearing Bristol Rovers third kit, um, and they went down. And, <laughs> went down by their own kit. Yeah. So, so yeah. So there's always a bit of a bit of memories in that sense. That's extraordinary. All right. Uh, still to come, we're going to be hearing about Borussia Dortmund's new teen sensation. No, not that one. Another one. And looking ahead to a very Man United-flavoured Milan derby. And Jack's going to get steamed up about the incredible goal from uh, Dimitri Payet uh, midweek in Ligue 1. First of all, though, here comes Paddy Power. Hello, listeners. It's producer Ben. Did you miss me? Nope, you probably didn't even notice I was gone. OK, Lee Price is on the line from Paddy Power. Lee, let's start, please, with Sheffield United versus Bournemouth. Can the cherries beat the blades? <laughs> that sounds like the world's worst reimagining of rock, paper, scissors. Although, until recently, a cherry versus a blade might have been an apt metaphor for this match. Bournemouth, to their credit though, have pulled out two big wins in the relegation battle. Or, put another way, cherries blossomed. We're still back in the blades in this knife fight though. Sheffield United 6-4 to, to win this one. Bournemouth for 9-2, the draw is 5-2. 
Now then, Lee, it says here that Pep Guardiola's won eight out of eight against West Ham, but two blanks in a row, of course, for City. Um, how many will they score against the Hammers this Sunday? Well, of all Pep Guardiola's achievements, I'm not sure that's in the top 1,000. I could probably win eight out of eight against West Ham, so long as I could save the game before each match. But they did at least score three goals last time out. But that is about the only thing Pep would be jealous of. That and David Moyes' lustrous locks. City are an unbelievable and yet simultaneously totally believable 1-12 to to win this game. And the odds on to score at least three times. Terrifying. As for West Ham there, well, does it matter what number I say next? It could be anything, couldn't it? And you'd still believe it. They're 20-1 to to win this game. Or are they? And finally then, Lee, to Goodison Park, where Crystal Palace are in a spot of bother, but still clear of the drop zone. Are they going to go down this season? Yeah, the Palace have been all over the news recently with talk of resignations, poor form and key personnel walking away. But this isn't a podcast about the Royal Family. Badoom tish. We actually think Crystal Palace are going to be totally fine this season. Our odds put them 13th in the final standings, which is totally fine. You can get 9-1 to one on them being relegated if you fancy it. Our predicted bottom three, this week anyway, is Norwich, Aston Villa and West Ham. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply and when the fun stops, stop. Danny Woodhead, a.k.a. Danny Night Train, hmm, says, just for your info, the term Farm League, which we were asking about in Tuesday's Totally Football Show, uh, Danny says, it comes from America. It stems from baseball when the development teams were based in small cities, towns or farm communities. Thank you for that, Danny. There you go. Uh, we did a big uh, Euro roundup in the aforementioned Tuesday's show, but loads has happened since. Not least this. Dimitri Payet, Jack. Yeah, ridiculous, ridiculous goal. A lot of people were saying on Twitter that this was poor goalkeeping, but that, that's a real... What did he do? Uh, well, he drifted in from the left, kind of moseying left and right. He's one of those great players who's able to beat opponents without actually being that quick. Right. Which is, I think is testament to his his ball manipulation and you know powers of, of misdirection, I suppose, which already makes him fine in my book. But he gradually, by cutting back, gets to the touchline, at which point everyone expects him to, to cross. But he kind of guides a shot in at the near post outside of his left foot. The goalkeeper, Stefan Ruffier, just completely bamboozled. I don't think anyone expected it. But with Payet, that's always in his locker. Right. Against his former team, there was a, a minor muted celebration. But yeah, just well, a wasn't that muted. He sort of saluted, which I think that would be my celebration if I scored in generally. Okay. But just on Payet, he ended the 2010s as West Ham's second most creative player, having appeared in 14% of their games. I mean... Yeah, good going. That was part of a 2-0 win for Marseille against Saint-Étienne. Marseille, who continue in second place in Ligue 1, behind PSG, who also won. They beat Nantes. Icardi got a goal after his uh, recent drought. In Germany, it was Pokal, a.k.a. the German Cup, and Dortmund unleashing yet another teenage sensation. We've seen Jadon Sancho. We've marvelled at Erling Haaland. But what did Giorena do this midweek? He scored a superb goal. From outside the box, jinked past a couple of players and then bent it in. It was amazing. Pretty good for uh, someone born in Sunderland. Oh, good Lord, he was born in... Okay, so he's got DNA. Well, he's got... If you take it that way, got bad DNA because right. his dad was playing for Sunderland in that season. If you remember, they started the season with Peter Reid. Right. Moved on to Howard Wilkinson and Steve Cottrell and then ended the season with Mick McCarthy. Was that... I think it might be. Anyway, that's Claudio Reyna, uh, who's the father. The mother is Daniela Egan, who a uh, former member of the US women's national soccer team. So, yeah. But anyway, he looks a real prospect. Just 17, the youngest scorer he's become in German Cup history. And, and what a team they're developing, Dortmund. You could argue that it wasn't even the best goal in that match. No, really. Yeah, what was better than that? One of Bremen's goals by Leo Bittencourt was... I think probably the purest half volley from the edge of the box I've ever seen. It's an absolute gorgeous goal. You should definitely uh, dig it out if you can. Let's see what else has been happening midweek in Spain. Copa del Rey quarterfinals. Granada are into the semis. First time since 1969. They beat Valencia. Uh, second tier Mirandes beat Villarreal 4-2. They go through as well. Uh, this evening, 
You've got Real Madrid in action against Real Sociedad and Athletic Bilbao taking on Barcelona. Interesting week out to Barcelona where, first of all, Samuel Ntiti uh, says he may not be available for the game because he's got a court date. He's being sued by his landlord for effectively destroying his habitation. And in other exciting off-field news in the Catalan capital, Leo Messi and Eric Abidal are at war. Mm. People asking, could Messi leave this summer? Well, he's got this clause in his contract now that every summer, if he wants to, he can leave for free, which seems uh, a clause that would lead a club to sort of keep him happy, but that doesn't seem to be the case at the well, moment. So maybe Eric Abidal didn't think that he was going to be invoking the wrath of, of Leo, but basically uh, Abidal criticised indirectly. He said that one of the reasons why they had to get rid of Valverde is that a lot of the players had stopped working and Messi was having none of this. Mm. Mm. He, he said name names didn't he that, that's basically what he said to, to Abidal and he was never going to name names it just goes to show what, why do people that work for football clubs always uh, clam up why do they really give interviews why do they always say the most boring of things it's for, it's for this reason but they don't want to put their foot in it and upset any individual and I think Messi's being a, a bit precious but if, if you upset Messi, then <laughs> you've got to be careful, haven't you? It, it was also interesting that Abidal tried to slightly uh, spin the, the talks they'd have had with Xavi about the managerial role, kind of trying to walk it back and saying, oh, no, he's not that experienced. Maybe we didn't offer it to him. When I think common consensus when you speak to the people who who know that situation was that they did want him. So that that's a strange bit of politicking to slightly throw some shade on a club legend also loved by Messi and the other players right. in an attempt to save face about their uh, convoluted managerial search. Doesn't look good for anyone, I don't right. think. I don't think many people think Leo will be leaving in the summer. It was interesting to see the Italian papers uh, leaping on it and wondering if he's going to reignite his duel with Ronaldo in Serie A. Mm. Mm. Yeah, Inter being linked. Ashley yeah. Young and Leo Messi together finally. It's the... Uh, <laughs> the outcome we're looking for. Right, Ashley Young who, speaking of Serie A, is, has got a big fixture this weekend because it's the Milan derby with, as I mentioned, a very strong Man United flavour to it. You've got Ashley Young taking on former teammate uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic if uh, Zlatan returns from flu. Also probably involved Romelu Lukaku and another former Old Trafford alumni Alexis Sanchez potentially into second in the table. But Milan absolutely flying since the arrival of Zlatan Ibrahimovic. They are unbeaten in seven since he pitched up at Milanello. Uh, the other Italian news this week, massive shock as Massimo Cellino, uh, yes him, uh, fired Eugenio Corini at Brescia. Uh, if that sounds familiar, it's because he's already done it once this season. Back in November, he fired him November the 3rd. And then rehired him on December the 2nd after his replacement, Fabio Grosso, lost all three games, aggregate score of 10 goals to nil or nil goals to 10. Uh, but uh, already he's decided that he's going to fire Carini again. This does happen quite a bit in Italy. It would be interesting if having fired him again, he hires him a third time in one season because that I don't recall happening. Isn't this because you can't actually fire them? They, you, you get rid of them, but their contract still exists. So it's well, quite easy to bring them back. The, the, the Italian way is just to keep people on gardening leave. So I mean, it's quite common for, uh, quite common. It's not unusual for a club like Inter to be paying four managers at the same time. And that does make it very easy just to bring somebody back because they're still under contract. Mm. Uh, so we'll see with Carini. I'm quite excited by that prospect. Uh, the, the man coming in, Diego Lopez, who's previously worked uh, with uh, Chilino before, but then again, most managers have at some point. One other thing to mention, Rangers against Hibs, Wednesday night. Rangers with a 2-1 win among the scorers, Yanis Hadji, son of... George Hadji, yeah. That's nice to see because uh, a lot of excitement about uh, yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if he's half as good as his dad, Rangers have got themselves a coup. He is incredibly two-footed Ooh. by all accounts. He takes penalties with either oh, foot, which I think that. is absolute class, isn't it? Um, I got my right foot to almost be as good as my left, but I would never have taken a penalty with it uh, even later on in my career. So, so yeah, that's that, that's amazing. I've said it before on here, I think, but Bobby Zamora and Obafemi Martins both scored penalties with both feet in the Premier League which is but not at the same time no is that, that would be no I'd say you'd have to be like a mermaid wouldn't you like flip yourself well forward. I've seen do you remember there was a, surely there was a player who did a 360 jump before kicking it in I'm pretty sure that happened 
Anyway, mm. we're digressing. I think it's time for us to make way for the offside rule. We'll be back with the Totally Football Show first thing on Monday morning for you when we'll be joined by Michael Cox. Nice to have him back. Tom Williams and also Frida Fargeland of Upton Bladded. Hopefully you'll be there too, listener. Have a great weekend in the meantime. And for now, from Jack, Adrian, Duncan and myself, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. of the Totally Scottish Football Show and if you like football you're gonna love Scottish football it's not all just Stevie G and Scott Brown up here no because we talk about all of the Scottish football and geez oh it's great there's actually a title race this year in the Premiership Stevie G will be hoping not to slip up again Hearts are tearing each other a new one Motherwell are doing well well they're doing well so if you like your football to be competitive have a title race and a ton of drama off and on the pitch the totally scottish football show is most definitely for you grab scottish football by the boys just like ryan christie did and listen to the totally scottish football show available everywhere even in england muddy knees media